Wondering how you can help and support the I Am Necessary podcast platform? Well, you can go to anchor.fm slash I Am Necessary. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash I Am Necessary. Scroll down just a little bit, find the support button. Click support and there will be instructions on how you can have a sponsorship anywhere from 99 cents a month to $9.99 per month to help boost this podcast and this platform. Okay, so thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me. I really appreciate it. And with that being said, Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the I Am Necessary podcast. As always, this is your guy, Marcel. Today, what we have going on is I have invited three of the most beautiful, special women that I know that I've met along my journey in life just to come in and chat. So what I want to do is just give everybody in listener land the opportunity to mm, eavesdrop on this conversation. So with everything going on in the world right now and there's a big push acknowledging women, I thought what an opportune time to bring on three powerful women and just talk about a few things. Okay. So I have Miss Brooke Blackshear. I have Miss Laura Wood, and I have Miss Dalla Adderall. Let me let these ladies introduce themselves, and let's start with you, Brooke. Hi. So my name is Brooke Blackshire. I'm originally from San Diego, California. Currently, I'm actually an account executive for a financial company out here in Tempe, Arizona, and I have zero kids, and I'm currently single. So that's my little opener there. All right, Laura. Well, my name's Laura Wood, and um, I am originally from, I guess you could say, Lansing, Michigan, and I am currently a director of client experience, and I also have a trauma therapy practice where I work with adolescents. I've got three kids, and I am divorced. Okay. Dala. Okay, well, my name is Dala Adarov. I'm originally from uh, Eritrea, that's in East Africa, but I grew up in San Diego. Um, so me and Brooke kind of got something in common. And uh, I, uh, I work at Grand Canyon University. I work in the International Department for Counseling. And I have my own uh, MedEx transportation business where we are, I'm contracted with, uh, with the state of Arizona, DCS and so forth, where we transport children or parents, you know, to wherever they need to transport us to. You forgot one yeah. big thing. I have one, yeah, I forgot one daughter and I'm not married or divorced. Okay, got a girl. Anybody in the uh, dollar, Brooke? Anybody planning on it? Is it you know if Mr. Wright shows up? I mean, I definitely want to get married eventually, but like you said, when when they show up, so who knows when that's gonna be? Dollar. Um, I it kind of like froze on it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, of course, whenever you know, I just think everything is in God's time. You know, before it was more of like, oh, you know, I was engaged before to my daughter's father, but. You know, we have, we're in a good space, and, you know, I, I'm not really thinking about marriage right now. If it happens and it comes that way, and everybody's ready for it, wonderful. If not, it's not something that I'm, like, pressuring. But I am old school. I still believe in marriage. I still believe in relationships. But I think um, over time, my outlook kind of has changed as far as, like, why people don't believe in marriages no more. You know, I'm trying to respect that and their outlook. So when it comes, it'll come, you know. I'm open to it, and I, I still, like, I'm a strong believer in marriage. But yeah, I'm not really like 
like on a time frame like I used to be before. Okay. So, Laura, yeah. what is your outlook knowing your, your experience with this? And I was married for a long time when I was really, really young. So I, I forget that that even happens sometimes. And so when I look at it now, for a while, I, I, I was really kind of down on it, right? I was like, no, that's never going to happen again. I'm never giving that up. You know, all the freedoms that came with not being married. But I grew up a little bit over the last 15 years or so. So now I'm, I'm in a relationship, have a partner and everything. But we are, you know, working towards just building that foundation and getting, living together, raising the kids together, figuring all that stuff out. And I mean, of course I want to get married and have that sort of, I don't know, I think it's, it almost feels like a validation some, somewhat of the relationship, right? Like getting, being chosen almost. That's kind of how I look at it. But we've been together almost five years. So it's like, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> and is there, in your situation, Laura, is there any sense of pressure either internally Hints from you, hints from him, or externally, hints from those people in your corner that are kind of rooting for you? I think I put more pressure on it than he does, because I'm like, I gotta, I'm not getting any younger, you know what I mean? Like, I, I my kids, and I, I kind of, I like consistency, and I like to, like, know the answers, and so for me, the, pressure's, the pressure comes from, like, I want certainty, but I mean... The reality is nothing is certain. You know what I mean? Like you can't control any of it anyway. So it's sort of an artificial certainty, I think, that I'm putting pressure on myself to get. Okay. You know, Marcel, that's one of the things I said like before. It was like, oh, I want to be married by this time. I want to have this by that time. And then kind of like learning that other people's perspectives and like and, and, and believing them and respecting their reasons for why they see things differently than I do, you know? Before it wasn't that, it was just more of like, like in a cookie cutter, you know? No, we're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do that and this is how it's supposed to look. And I'm, I've learned since I've had my daughter that as long as we can have like a peaceful, I'm still old school, but as long as we can have kind of like a peaceful friendship and a foundation, it will come. I mean, mm -hmm. it will come in time, but at least it's in nobody else's time but your time, you know? And that's kind of like what I've gotten out of things within the last few years is I don't want to ever make anyone feel pressured to do anything because it's their life as well. And it's something that they got to be committed to and they got to live with. Yeah. So I've learned to kind of choose myself in the process and still enjoy life and enjoy friendships and enjoy relationships before it wasn't like that. So. Mm -hmm. And I could just say from my perspective, ultimately, you and your partner have to understand that eventually this is what we're working towards. Otherwise... Why are we even doing this? And my wife and I, we were together, I don't know, seven, eight years before we even got engaged. And people always say, well, that's a long time. Well, we were actually doing the work. And what I mean by the work is the small things in a relationship. When someone says, for example, I love you, they say it like this. I love you, waiting for that reciprocation, waiting for it in return, where when someone says, I love you, actually, okay, that's great. Good, good job. You know, I might not be there yet. And then feelings get hurt. And the reason feelings get hurt is because you and your partner may not have sat down and said, okay, well, what is love to you? Because we may have two different definitions. So if your definition is not congruent with mine, it makes sense why you say you love me and I'm not where you are yet. And that goes with like, that goes with everything because we assume the other person's definite, big one, trust. Well, that may mean something different to me than it does to one of you ladies. So we actually have to sit down and define it. 
And when it's broken or when it's acknowledged along the path, you have to acknowledge it and say, that's what I mean by trust. That was a great job on your behalf. Or I made some cookies and told you not to eat them. And I know they're your favorite, but you chose to eat one. And your reason was, well, you made a hundred. You know, they're my favorite. Of course, I'm going to eat one. But I asked you not to because I had to make 100 for my group at work. And I was going to make you some later. And so now we have that thing going. Right. And if you don't have those definitions in place, you're secretly saying, I don't trust this person. Meanwhile, your partner has no idea that you're operating on that premise. And then all of a sudden the relationship is over. And usually it's the guy who's like, what? I don't understand. So that is uh, a big thing. And I love that all of you at least have an agenda as far as what you want to do in that realm. Now, with that being said, let me ask you, Brooke, single what in your definition is a good man i mean i think that honestly that depends on like the woman right it depends on her personal experiences kind of what she's gone through that's going to really define like what is a good man to every individual but i think for me one of the main like there's kind of like four kind of core things i look for like first is like someone who's just like genuine right who's authentic who's secure enough to be themselves they're not playing a role or playing a part so everywhere you go you know whether they're with their family their friends whoever they're around they're not a different person right you're not like Jekyll and Hyde like who are you yesterday because today you're somebody else right? right so that's one of the main things for me is like just consistency knowing that that's who you are you're grounded within yourself someone who's respectful I think a lot of times when it comes to people especially nowadays I think with my like you know generation and people in my age group they're not really they're all about themselves. It is, it's very selfish. You know, they talk to family, friends, really any kind of way. And I think how you treat your family, your mother, your siblings, you know, your friends, strangers, a waiter, a waitress, right? You know, how do you treat people when no one or when you think nobody's looking is a big component for me. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's compassionate. I think, again, everyone's very selfish nowadays. So it's always about, like, how can I get a leg up? What can I do to get ahead? but not really taking into account, like, what can I do to help someone else get ahead, too? You know, how can I pull someone else with me as I go along? So, like, someone who's compassionate and kind-hearted. And the last one is just someone who, like, has integrity. Because I think that just as a core kind of concept is, like, if you have integrity, you have character, and that builds on a lot of other things. So, for me, like, that is, like, the core of a good man because he's a good person, right? And then everything else is, like, just personality traits that you kind of want or build on after that. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. How many of you, Brooke, did you grow up with a father figure in the house? I did. So I grew up with my, well, technically stepdad, right? But for my entire life since I was three, I think three or four, he's been around. So that's just like my dad. There is no, you're my stepdad. And there's this, like, that's dad. But I also knew my biological father. He was not that involved, but his family was there too. So I also got to have that aspect of my grandparents on his side, my cousins, things like that. But still having like that stable father figure, I definitely did have that. What about you, Laura? Father figure? Yeah, I had, so I had a stepdad too, kind of can relate to that. Like my stepdad came into my life when I was older though. I was, I think 12 or so when he came into my life and I, I actually was thinking about this and I'm thinking, man, by the time he got there, it was too late. I hadn't had that. And so I really didn't feel like I grew up with a father, but looking back now, I see him and I, I tell him all the time. I'm like, man, if like, 
couple years earlier, right? Before I before I totally got into that tween teen attitude, because mm-hmm. he was great. You know, he showed up. He really he really treated me with respect and really showed me that everybody else needs to treat me with respect. And I wish, looking back, that I saw that on a deeper level because I had that opportunity. And I think as a kid, I didn't know I wasn't ready. I I didn't know that I that I could benefit so much from learning from him. But I mean, he was there and he's still there now. You know, he's he's my go to, you know, what I mean, when I need Mm -hmm. something. So, yeah, I kind of had that half and half, I guess. So with that, you have three boys and tell everybody how old your your boys are. My boys are 13, 14, and 16. So they are man children at this point. They're all bigger than me. They're, um, you know, they're just gigantic, hungry uh, men children. And so they're, um, they're starting, two of them are in high school now. Starting next week, this week. Hmm. And yeah. So with you, with three boys, and kind of having, for the most part, to do this, being solely responsible for your boys, tell us about some of the things, what did that look like, some of the sacrifices you had to make? Yeah, solely responsible. I think that's that sums up the sacrifice, right? That's like, the question, the answer's in the question. I mean, I, they have been it's been me and them for a really long time i was i was really really young when i had my oldest son i was only 17 and so i think the sacrifice was growing up i and they sacrificed equally with me when we think about that like we grew up together you know Mm -hmm. so my kids had a kid mom they didn't have a mature sort of capable of seeing things objectively adult woman as their as their caretaker for a long time so we I was divorced when my youngest was two so they were all really really little and I think that was the hardest part was just not having I felt resentful for a long time like not getting a childhood myself Mm -hmm. just feeling like I didn't have that opportunity to grow up and to make mistakes and to experiment with life and and have just a little bit of fun. Like, I think the biggest sacrifice for me was being able to grow up without damaging somebody else. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when you're a kid and you're 20, like, your mistakes don't impact the lives of, of other people. Your mistakes are just yours and you learn from them and you deal. But for me, I, I carried that weight for a really long time because the mistakes I made really impacted them. And it really, the stakes were high, mm-hmm. you know? The stakes were high. Wow. So. Okay. Dalek, you, you had a father in the house? Uh, um, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Since I was born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So All my life still is. And, and your mom, tell me a little bit about your mom. What I really want to get from your answer is, is what you admire the most about your mom. It's funny because I was thinking about that. And then I was, um, you know, Mother's Day had just passed too. And I was thinking about my mom. And I was just like... There's really a lot of things that I admire about it. Like, uh, what's her name was saying? She, like, she, she had me when she was 20. I married when she was 17. She was she fought in a war uh, for her country, volunteer, didn't get paid. You know, she fought for like five, six years. She got married in the war. You know, we're still back home. Came here to a whole new country, had to adapt, learn. Both my parents are registered nurses. 
she's my mom is Christian, my dad is Muslim. She's stuck with her own religion as well. I mean, when it comes to independence, when it comes to like the new term now, she's really like a savage in her own way. There's so many things I cannot see myself doing if I were in on the shit that they've done. So living in those kind of conditions and leaving school to go fight a war for your country just for the sake of your people in your country and getting nothing else from it, not one check, not even proper gear, you know? And um, and then coming here and like seeing where she's at now, we're still married. Uh, and her and my dad, you know, they're very close, but they're very different too, you know? Mm-hmm. And even though they're from the same country, completely different cultures, completely different religions within it too, within the same country. But one thing about my mom is she's so independent. She's very intelligent. When I think about a humanitarian, I think about my parents. They are like now, they just talking to them like a few months ago, they paid off all their mortgages. They don't have to work if they don't want to now. They came in this country in 89 and they still work and all the majority of the money goes to helping people. Wow. Is, I mean, that's why I'm the way, you know how I am. Mm-hmm. There's so much money that we have taken care of our cousins. I get that from them, but now that they don't have to work as much is that's just what they are like we come from a place where it's it's not very rich in material even in necessities i don't like to say we came from nothing because we come from a rich culture we come from a lot it's just when it comes to material and a lot of necessities we don't have it we didn't have it back home due to whatever politics and things like that but literally my mom there's just her as a woman in general she's a warrior she's a hard worker she still works three to four times a week she doesn't have to, you know what I mean? She's young, she's only 50, no, she's 60, you know? So it's just, it's phenomenal. She's just so graceful. And like, I, I don't think like, even if I can become half of the woman that she is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then I would feel like I've accomplished things in life, you know? But she's just done so much, her and my dad, but mainly my mom, she just, as a woman, she really is more, she's very chill in her personality. She's very calm, you met her, mm-hmm. but, it does a lot within that time, you know, just even in her calmness, she accomplishes so much, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's, a, she's a, a fierce full power when you think about all the things that she's done. And there's so much that I don't know that she's done. I keep hearing from people later. Oh, you know, if it wasn't for your mom back in the 80s, I wouldn't have had this or I wouldn't have made it to America. Or I wouldn't. And I'm just like, golly, there's just so many more stories. So what I admire, I don't think it's one thing that I can really pick about, about her. It's, you know, it's a lot of different things that uh, encompasses who she is and every day, like every time I'm talking to her, it's just I have every day is like my respect for her just goes more, not just as my mom, but just as a woman, you know? Yeah, so. and I would say to Laura and Dala, and maybe one day Brooke, hear what Dala is saying, Dala, hear what you're saying, and Laura, I see you shaking your head, hear what you're thinking, because a mother really doesn't know how she's doing. But just listen to how you're speaking about your mother. And back then, she probably didn't know she meant all of that to you at the time. Mm-hmm. She was just trying to keep you fed, keep you healthy. And last night, my family, my extended family, you know, since this COVID and everything, we do a Zoom family call every other week. And so my mom has been flirting with retirement. My mother works for the Social Security Administration and this year she just celebrated year number 55 so yeah, yeah exactly they don't even make them like that anymore and okay. the funny thing is we surprised her and we were everybody was trying to give a couple of words about what my mother meant to them my aunties my cousins and things like that and when it came to me 
I mean, I couldn't even get four words out before I started crying like a kid, you know, and that's just the power that a mother has. So you may think you're doing it wrong, but as a mother, you are always doing it right. Because even in your failure, your kids will see your strength. They will see your stamina. They will see how you deal with things. And all they see is love and caring. So mothers, please keep that in mind. And I salute mm -hmm. all of you. Uh, Dalo, so tell me this, Dalo. What is the difference, if any, between uh, culturally, between a woman in America and a woman in Africa? I think it just depends on, I don't really think, I think sometimes it's just more the resources, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But honestly, when I think about women out here and all the things that they do, you know, for their families, it's the same. You know, like it typically it's the same, just in a different way, you know what I mean? Back home, you're working with a lot, with little. Here you have opportunities like to go to school, but even so, like in our job, when we're talking to students, they do their best to come to America for a better life, right? But when they come here, they are busy. When, I mean, America is good for opportunity, right? So there's so much opportunity, but there's just not enough time in the day. You got to worry about a babysitter. You got to worry about this. Everything is a huge task. Back home is not like that. There's not enough opportunity, but there's always somebody that can watch your kids. You know what I mean? There's yeah. always things like that. Like, and So it's just a different dynamic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But culturally... I mean, there's always, there's some women that are lazy sometimes too. There's women, it could be trauma, it could be all kinds of things that, you know, there's some mothers that could do better, right? And that's in every culture. There's mothers that are amazing, just like our moms, you know what I mean? And like, we can't find the perfect words to describe them. It doesn't matter what culture it is or how, um, even like I said, I think about Princess Diana, for example, you know what I mean? You know, when she was a princess, she was very privileged, right? But even then, she was still doing so much and helping out, you know, and to try to teach her kids about giving and humanity and all these things. So even if you are privileged, as a, I think culturally, there's a there's a different just dynamic, but I think it's all the same at the end of the day, you know, yeah. what you strive to, to, to do. Yeah, like back home, it's just not enough opportunities, but a lot of the women, they want to be educated, they want to go to school, they want to do these things. Only some of them can, you know, for whatever reason. Um, here, I think it's just like, like what was her name? Not Brooke, but Laura. Uh -huh. I think it was yeah. Laura. She was saying like she had she had her kids at age seventeen. She had to grow up with them. You know what I mean? So it's like she still was a great mom. You know what I mean? But it was just she grew up with her children. She's learning all of these things as she go. But at a young age now, look what she's able to provide for them. Because look where she's at now. She's mm -hmm. so accomplished. She didn't allow that being young, having kids, take like you know like ruin her life in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even professionally. You're in a position now where you can relate to your kids to an extent, you know what I mean? And you can talk to them. You're not, that's not a big, huge gap. I had my kid at 33. I lived and I made those mistakes and I partied and I had a career and I had business and all that kind of good stuff. And I love that because I got to experience it. And um, like for me, but even if I would have had them younger, uh, I don't think I would have been less of a mom, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't think culturally, I think moms, women all over the world still technically deal with the same challenges and things like that it's just different dynamics like as far as like where they're living or opportunities and stuff like that and brooke what is your i know this is a, a cheap probably the worst question i can ask what is your favorite thing about being a woman i for me i can't really pick just one thing right because i think and as women in general like we're so much we're encompassed so much right mm -hmm. um our intelligence 
positivity, the fact of how nurturing we can be, how strong we can be. There's just so many components that you can't just put it all in one box, right? Mm-hmm. We can just we can do so much, and I think even in the current climate we're in now, you know, it's allowing us the opportunities to show like what we're really capable of. We're not being held back anymore. So mm-hmm. for me, like I feel, I love everything about it. I wouldn't now. I think when we're in a position, be you know, we're looking to be, or they're looking to oppress us. We can't, you know, access certain jobs. We can't get certain incomes. We can't do certain things as when we continue to keep moving forward, right? We keep pushing the envelope. We don't let people tell us what we can and can't do. And mm-hmm. that I'm really careful about, right? Um, right. Sensitive or we're this or that, because those are all, they're not weaknesses, right? So I think honestly, for me, that's everything. I love everything about being a woman. I'm, you know, excited about, the future for women and what we're able to kind of accomplish and move forward with. And yeah, there's not one particular thing. I think it's just everything in general. It's a wonderful thing to me. I love being a woman. I love encouraging others. And that's why, that's why I said this was a, uh, an awful question. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it turned out to be a beautiful question because it made you leak and spill all these things about being a woman that I think uh, is incredible. Now, Laura, what challenges do you think you face in life, career, personally, or whatever, that are challenges exclusively because you're a woman? I think challenges that I face exclusively because I'm a woman. Challenges are almost universal, right? Mm-hmm. Like For me, the way I, I want to answer the question, I think being undermined, being underestimated, which uh, you can work towards your advantage too, but <laughs> just the constant pressure to be everything. Mm-hmm. is the big thing that I can think of the constant pressure to be everything to everyone and the constant guilt that I think we put on ourselves as women especially mothers that we carry to make sure that everybody is okay right and you can't always make sure everybody's okay and you can't make sure you, you really can't influence anybody's reactions to your actions you can just do your best. And so I think that's the hardest part for me. And I think, I think I carry that as a female, like I'm not, I can't do everything. And I really feel like I should. And I, and that word should, I hate that word should, but I, I tell myself, you should be able to do that. You should be able to work 12 hours and cook dinner for your family and make sure that you wake up your kids the next day and study with them and help them with their projects and, you know, be sexy for your man and show up for, your mom and have all this like you should 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 and i think that's the biggest challenge that i see for me it's just be everything all day to everyone have you ever uh experienced discrimination in the workplace because you're a woman or seen it (laughs) definitely yeah i can remember one example specifically my boss my new boss was this was years ago so not today Mm -hmm. so if my current boss (laughs) did not have today Uh, this is years ago, but I had just gotten into a new position and he was introducing me to someone else, one of peers. He basically said that the reason why I was successful at this project that I was that I was kind of presenting, he said, well, you're successful, like you did a great job and it was really well received because you were pre- you're an attractive woman presenting to a bunch of men. Wow. And I'm like, um, or... I was successful because I killed it, I prepared for it, I worked for it, I earned it, right? And, you know, and it was like, so now this new 
person, this peer of my boss's at the time, is never going to look to me to find me for a project, right? Not unless he's got an audience full of men that he wants to impress. And that's gross. Like, that's just gross to me. And yeah. so... It, it, it belittles your intelligence if, as well. Yeah. It's just demeaning on a level. And I think the discrimination specifically, right? I don't know what the other people are going through or what if I missed an opportunity because I was cho not chosen because I'm female. I don't know if I made less than my peers because I'm female, right? I don't know for sure. I can't prove that. But I can certainly say that there's a thread there of being told in meetings like, oh, you're smarter than you look. Wow. Thank you. Gosh. <laughs> what a compliment, right? right? Stuff like that. It's like, why do I have to put energy thinking hard about how to navigate those kinds of conversations? Why do I have to do that? Right. Right. So what is, let me start with Ndala. What is the biggest stereotype about women that kind of boils your blood every time you hear it? I want to add on to that because it does help us with a question. What Laura was saying about the biggest challenges of women is doing everything, mm -hmm. literally doing everything. You know, as you know, I have my plate full as well. Then being a mom, and, which I obviously prioritize, and then I think about it, I'm like, I only have one. I mean, stop whining. And it's not so much that you know her dad doesn't do anything because he does, but the roles between a man and a woman. You know what I mean? And I grew up where when we came to America, my mom and dad were partners partners i mean like every task partners i mean they did it to where it wasn't no rules okay it was like okay you're gonna go to school full-time first i'm gonna take them to school get them dressed i'm gonna help with the homework when we get home when you take the bus back home the kids will be home they're all gonna eat together then my dad goes to school in the evening and my mom is up all night studying and they did it for like six years so she finished her so i saw them my dad was at home all day during the day taking care of my baby sister okay my mama and coming from his culture it's a huge no, 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 you know what I mean? Like, you know, men are not supposed to be doing that in the house. But he did that for the sake of his family and he swallowed his pride and they partnered up. And that's why they're so successful, you know what I mean? Because they did it as a team. Me, of course, I do majority of everything, you know what I mean? Then me and Cam, we don't live in the same household. But we do a lot of things with Boo. But as a, that's when I learned about gender roles. It's not so much that a woman just, it's not about trying to make things even all the time. Oh, no, no, I did this, so you got to do that. You know what I mean? Everything got to be 50-50. It's not. Sometimes it's going to be 80-20. You know what I mean? Sometimes it, sometimes he might do something that I might never do at all, and it's going to be 100 for him and zero for me. But a majority of the day-to-day -day with work, with running a business, you know what I mean, with her schoolwork, all that, it is all. 80 or 90% of the time is me. So having to, like, not focus on like giving that responsibility to someone. No, no, you do this now because I'm tired. But you do that. I did, you know what I mean? Just, to, I told myself that's just how it is. That's just what women do. That's why we are who we are. You know, where we we make sure everything is well taken care of. So I, when Laura was saying that, I have accepted that a couple of years ago, and I accepted that my kids are only going to be here for so long. My daughter, I mean, she's only going to be here for so long. I'm just going to enjoy this time, and she wants me to do every little thing with her anyway. You know. So I've accepted the gender roles like that. And, I, and there's some gender roles that he'll do that I would never have to deal with. You know what I mean? And that's just how it is. That's just how the, the roles are. I mean, um, that's just how things work.
So once I've accepted it, it became it became a lot easier. Now the the stereotypes. I think it goes hand in hand with that. With women, women are always whining about something. They're always men are always saying that. Stop whining. You're always whining about this and that. And it's like, first of all, I just never understood if people want people to stop whining. Just like this is happening with the protest, right? If if you want all that to stop, why don't you listen to what the issue is, and then fix it? It's literally just that simple. So then the whining can stop. So if I'm whining about this and this and that, and then I said, why don't you listen to what she's whining about? You obviously are not that annoyed by the whining. You just want to constantly say that. You know what I mean? Mm. I hate that. I hate that because I feel like even if we're gonna whine, we own that right to whine. You know what I mean? We do so much through the day, even if it's not physical, it's mental. There's a it's a constant agenda that goes on that has to be done throughout the day, you know? Even on the weekend when you want to lay around and do nothing, you're still either doing laundry. It's always something and mentally you're drained. So that's the thing about women, because I just feel like women do so much. So what if they whine? Or why don't you figure out what that issue is? That boils my blood. Like, here she go whining again, like as if that's not like a woman of the household or she does not play a huge role in the household if she's not a backbone of the family, you know? So that's one thing that always boils my blood. So yeah, that's that's one of the main things. I remember since I was a kid. My dad didn't say it, but you know, just uh, people said it all the time. I want to add that. Why is it whining instead of this woman of the household is raising some important concerns? <laughs> Am I right? Like Exactly. Why be whining? Why isn't it just, oh, she's got something to say. Maybe it's important. Maybe we right. should listen. Right. And it kind of, it ends up raising young boys thinking like sometimes depending on the household, if that's being said a lot, like, oh, that's just what women do in general. That's just women love to whine as opposed to <laughs> educating them like, hey, well, your mom has a concern about this. You know what I mean? Let's, let's see what it is, you know? And um, I mean, I, I never really dealt with it as much in my household growing up. I see it in other like friends and families and I see how younger boys are picking up on that as they're, they're dating and they're, you know, oh, she's just whining. Like, no, 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 And I, you see how they pick up those things from, you know, their parents and stuff, or their dad or uncles or whatever. So, yeah, that's one thing. I, I always, so boils my blood. <laughs> my, uh, my main one, to be honest, is that, that, like, everyone has a stereotype that women are emotional, right? We're too emotional, mm-hmm. we're emotional. And for me, I noticed that I feel like a lot of times they use that as a negative. They use it against you to prevent you from doing certain things, whether it's, getting certain types of jobs or there's political professionals. Oh, they can't make those type of decisions. They're too emotional. They have too many feelings involved where it always is looked at as a negative. It's something to hold you back, not allowing women to get in positions that they really need to be in. Uh, when you want to come politically, like in other countries, there are women who are in power, positions of power, right? They're presidents, they're governors of their states or their countries. And it's not because they're overly emotional, right? There are sometimes not even sometimes, most of the time they're more effective than the previous leaders that, that came before that, right? But again, oh, because, you know, you're emotional, you feel things, you might be empathetic or sympathetic, you can't be a leader, you can't be strong. And even I think with men nowadays too, they're so conditioned to be like, don't show emotion, don't be vulnerable, that they think that that shows strength and power when in actuality, being emotional, being able to, you know, sympathize with someone to be having an able ability to understand and be understanding of other people, I think is one of the strongest traits anybody can have. So I think instead of trying to use things that are super effective and actually put power into your hands, especially for women, instead of trying to use it against us, it's something that people really need to start embracing 
to figure out how we can make things better. How can we fix problems? How can we get to that next page instead of, again, trying to keep us, again, in a box of like, well, keep your emotions here. Don't complain. Don't vent. Don't put up. You know, if you speak up in one way, you're coming off as aggressive, right? That's still an emotion. You may not be aggressive. You might just be passionate. But when it comes to women, oh, she's too emotional. She's too angry, right? The angry black woman is such a huge negative stereotype. And it's not even that. It's just vocalizing your frustration, right? But in society, people think, oh, no, no, she's angry. She's loud. She's crazy. And they don't take what you say for face value anymore because they just jumble everything together. And I think when people do that and they kind of pigeonhole us by saying, you know, no, she's too emotional, just dismiss her, it really puts us back. So I think that's like the one thing that really irritates me the most is kind of trying to just keep their feet on our neck and say like, oh, too emotional, don't listen to her opinions, she doesn't matter. And with that being said, what do you think are the biggest challenges for the generation of women coming behind you? For me personally, so as they call us like millennials, right? Um, I think we've done a lot of talking. It's always like, let's do peaceful protests. Let's get, you know, equal pay. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's send a letter. Let's make a phone call. And it works to an extent, right? It's not always that effective. And I think with like the generation after me, like Gen Z, they are kind of a little more, I don't want to say irrational, but they're kind of like, you know, we're done. We're done talking. We're going to actually put some action behind what we're doing. And I think the combination of the two has really put us in a position to like start moving the needle in the right direction, right? Whether it's for racial equality, you know, women's empowerment, equal pay, like positions of power to actually be able to progress in a profession, you know, that's super important. So I think it's not even a challenge anymore. It's just an opportunity. It's the way you look at it. So I think the generation coming behind me has the opportunity to keep pushing the right direction to start really seeing the results that you know, my generation or the generation before me and before them has been fighting so hard for all this time, right? Like year after year and decade after decade, we're seeing improvement, but I think we're finally at a position now where it's not so much a challenge, but just an opportunity to keep seeing that progress. So we can actually like see a difference for like my kids or their kids, like they can have that opportunity that maybe I didn't. Right. And with a lot of things that recently have been in the news over the last few years just because they and just because something has been in the news recently doesn't mean it doesn't have a history dating back years and years it's just now busted so with men in power finding out a lot of men in power like to have elevator eyes they like to play grab ass in the office and because they have that power it goes to the stereotypes if you like working here and you like things then you need to keep your little mouth shut. So have any of you ever experienced anything like that along your journeys? I'll start with Laura. I'm gonna say not from anyone with any real power because there's no, you know, power is given to an extent, right? And so in my experience, so I have been lucky where I I haven't been at risk of losing a job or losing something significant that contributes to my livelihood. I haven't had that experience, but I certainly have had people who are in a professional environment, right? At a higher level than me, behave inappropriately, things like, you know, ask me out, buy me gifts, do things that, or even I've had, I had somebody follow me around, follow me uh, into throughout the office and outside into the 
you know, parking garage or whatever. And I'm like, really? Like, what is about to happen in my life right now? Like, what is this? But I've never, fortunately, I have not had the experience where, you know, my livelihood was on the line. And so those those situations, not to minimize them, because they are still uncomfortable and they're un- unwelcome and unacceptable, right? And it's not okay to be forced to have to navigate some of those challenges. But I haven't, I, w- I will say to answer the question, not anyone with any real power. Okay. All right. Dollar, have you ever experienced anything like that or seen it? I've seen it, like, but I've never experienced it myself. And I, and it's funny you say that because I think sometimes people say that, like, I give off this energy that, like, that someone was telling me, no one will ever do that to you because you just walk around so confident that, you know what I mean? And you, and it's like something I don't recognize. I don't see it. I just think I'm just being mean, being normal. Like, but you just give off this energy that no one, no one can try to intimidate you. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I, I do. I was like, well, good. You know, but I don't intentionally do that. That's just who I am. You know, I'm very friendly. I'm very social. I'm all this and that. But I guess within that, because several people have told me that. There's like people don't just, it's just like even men sometimes, like they're not going to. I mean, I've never experienced it for myself, but I've seen it happen to other people. And I, I can, I know the other people that are very timid. Mm-hmm. Once again, not someone where like they could lose their job or nothing like that, but someone of a higher position. I mean, that, that person could have gotten them to lose their job. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, I've seen that being used. You know, people have showed it to me and things like that, but not, not to me, not to me. But Somebody said something earlier and it brought up an interesting thing. Do you, and I'll ask you this, Dala, do you think... In professionally in the workplace between men and women, I think Laura kind of mentioned it. Is there a wage gap between men and women? I think there is. I know there is. I've known fa- like friends and family that have been hired, like engineers in San California that have been hired for the same position but had different pays, same company, everything. But they're cousins. So when they spoke about it later, they noticed that. And that their experience pretty much about the same. The one that my male cousin, yeah, he got like 15, 10 or 15, I think it was like 13, maybe, thousand more. And he had like a year and a half less experience than my female woman cousin. Now, in the field that I've worked in, I've worked, you know, because my most of us have been in counseling. Not really. We all come in about making about the same, and it just depends on the levels that you want to go to, whatever. But in my contractual business, I've noticed, yeah, as a woman, I did get a lower pay rate, you know, per, per mile. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you can go and look, all that stuff is public, as opposed to, you know, there's a woman, it's a woman owner business. And, you know, when you go do your bids and all that kind of stuff, I noticed that I did. I ended up getting, I'm one, I have me and like a couple of other people uh, that are also women. We got one of the lowest. It could have been about an experience, but I don't, I don't think so. I think well, it had to do with that. And here's, some, to- here's something for you ladies to think about. I was speaking with a friend of mine. She is like senior real high senior level at google and we was talking about this and she's uh, all about the women you know she's an activist and all of this she said what she found was when it comes to the interview process and the question okay well tell us about your salary expectations men with their bravado they shoot way up here and women are more realistic and humble and they shoot down here so so yes and yes 
Okay, what you ask for, you get, and what you ask for, you get. So now when we put it over here, it appears to be a wage gap. And so she said that was an eye-opener for her. So now she's doing things and behind movements to help women understand their real power and their true value that they bring to the table and stop cheating yourself short when it comes to sitting at the negotiation table. And I thought that was, I never thought about it that way. Don't know if that's true, but in her little experience, she said that's what she saw. So that was kind of interesting to me. Wow, uh, that is interesting. And I can see that happening too, you know? I can definitely see that happening. Okay. I've had that experience. I can totally relate. And I've heard that before too. And the reason, one of the reasons why I have had that experience is because somebody told me that. One of my friends said to me, she said, Laura, if you were a man, you would not even be asking yourself these questions, right? And I said, okay, tell me more about that. Like, what do you mean by that? And she's telling me, like, men don't feel bad about negotiating. Men don't feel bad about asking for what they want. Men don't feel bad about coming in and setting themselves up, right? Like, they don't feel some type of guilt or selfishness from that. And she says, you need to stop because that's not the reality. You ask for what you want, ask for what you think is fair, and bring and go from there and i said okay and i i can i can 100 percent relate to that because in the in the conversations earlier in my career i was like well i mean you know i guess you're right i don't have as much experience or whatever you know and then in my conversations later in my career i'm like i'm gonna need this <laughs> you know make that work figure it out right and that's it go ahead um, all right one thing when it comes to, like the wage gap portion and everything like Something that I've noticed, because I've had, a, you know, when my sister, for example, she's been in, like, tech industry. She's been in positions where it's male-dominated. And I feel like I always have to make sure like, when she's going to an interview, I make sure to call her. I'm like, you know what? Make sure you know your value. Speak to that, right? Don't feel intimidated that if they offer you less, that you have to accept it. I think as women, sometimes we feel like, well, I mean, this might be the best I can get. But I think if you know your value, you stick to that. Like, don't be afraid to walk away right don't always put the power in somebody else's hands and like, well i guess i should just take this and i can show them what i can do and then i can work up it's like no i know what i can do i know what i bring to the table you know and stand firm in that so that also that conviction comes off and comes across to somebody else because if they know that you're not afraid to walk away they're also most of the time are not most of the time but sometimes even in my management experience i've had district managers tell me we'll offer this type of salary so as an offer and i'm like mm, okay but I knew where we could go. So there's always some type of room for negotiation. And I think if you're okay with just accepting what's offered to you, you're not always gonna get where you're trying to go, right? You're not gonna get the kind of value or they may not value you in the same way that you deserve to be valued. So I think not being afraid to speak up and not being in a position where you feel like you have to accept what someone's offering you, like it's okay to say no. And they might call you right back and be like, you know what? Actually, we can come up to 55. We can come up to 65 because that actually happened for my sister because she said no. Mm -hmm. So don't be so quick to just accept whatever someone's trying to give you. Great. You're right. You're right about that. So I'm going to ask this next question, which some people may consider controversial or whatever, but that's why it's my fucking show. I can say whatever <laughs> I want to say. And every answer is the, you know, they're the opinions of my guests. So, Brooke, I want you to explain to me what it feels like to have the government attempt to control what you do with your body. So I think for me, the main thing kind of comes down to this, right? So at the end of the day, everybody has or should have 
God-given free will. That's just kind of where I stand, regardless of if I agree with or without like say it's like abortion type of topic, right? You may not agree with that choice, but if I take my religious or my political views out of something, and you know, you don't know the background, you don't know that person's experience, you don't know the livelihood that that person's currently living. So I have no means to tell somebody what they should and shouldn't do with their body, right? If I can't tell somebody, hey, you have to wear a dress every day because I said so, you know, I can't tell you this is the kind of food you need to eat every single day. How on earth can I tell somebody on a topic so much bigger than that? Like, this is what you have to do because I said so, because we think this is the best. It's not always, you know, about what's best for you. Sometimes you have to take yourself out of that situation. And I think that's the thing that people kind of have a problem with. It's about how much power can we have? How much power can I have over somebody? And with the female body, like, that is my body, right? No one else has power over that but me. If I decide to go gain 200 pounds, nobody told me to do that. If I decide to lose weight, nobody told me to do that. I decided to do it for myself. So if, you know, you can't make a simple decision as far as, like, what I eat in a day, you can't tell me anything. That's just my opinion. Cool. Anybody else on that one? I think... Go ahead. I don't know. I was just going to say I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that so I'd have to focus on I really really have to focus on the question and I but I like what Brooke's saying you know when she's talking about we think about the argument of like public health right it's for the good of public health we have to protect people and make these choices it's kind of always the the argument but in what other way do we ever make good choices on behalf of public health we just like it's a moot argument like I just think the whole thing is bullshit sorry I like it's just because I want to know how many how many women are in those rooms making those decisions and are allowed to speak up like I just think it is it is the arguments about what we can you know like what can a woman do with their body when you're talking about there's a handful of things right that that applies to specifically though those choices aren't being made by women there's no one looking at the actual data that shows what happens when we're not allowed to make those choices, when it comes to socioeconomic gaps, when it comes to the better, the health of communities. Like there's, there's data out there that shows that everything about what the decision, the, every single reason that people are giving to make these decisions are absolutely wrong. And I just think it's pure power it's about power and that is just ugly i definitely agree that's exactly what i was going to say it's about power it's about i'm making becoming dictators basically and not running uh, people and what their personal decisions are i think it's whatever your personal belief is and what your personal decision is that actually should be making that decision um I don't think anybody else should have anything to say say about that, but that individual, that woman. I don't think anything the the government should have should dictate that at all. So it's based on your personal like religious beliefs or whatever, and then what you choose to do. I'm gonna shoot this one at you. Bounce back to you, Laura. So the Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal, and some say they mean that literally. There's no mention of women when you hear that what runs through your mind oh it makes that makes my blood boil that makes me so mad i just it's such a i just i think a lot of things are about power a lot of things are about power 
and I've studied power and control in count from a counseling aspect. I've counseled, you know, domestic violence offenders and victims, and I like the power and control is very specifically executed in a lot of these conversations, right? And I think when I hear that all men are created equal, I think it's an intention to keep women second class and to minimize the experience and to say that there's no reason to bring women into that conversation and bring with, you know, write the word, just write the word woman. Why is it hard? like, how's that hard, right? Like why, why are we picking that battle? So people that defend the fact that it, uh, semantics or it's a minimal, it's a minimal change that doesn't really mean anything. They're choosing the wrong side. They're ignoring the broader conversation, which is people do take that literally. And as long as it exists in writing and as long as it exists in, you know, the way that we sort of proclaim our status in society, women are kept as second. They just are. And I just think that's so intentional. And that part's ugly. The power part's ugly. I don't like it. And I and it just, oh, it makes me so mad. And the arguments for keeping it that way are so asinine and invalid. But to minimize the experience of someone else, to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter that it doesn't say that. What matters to me, it matters to a lot of women. To minimize the experience and to minimize the fact that that is a form of oppression is the exact definition of privilege and those who, anyone who minimizes someone else's experience, like it should not be allowed to make any decisions under any circumstances, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. It's a lot more. So now I'm gonna ask each of you one question and it's gonna be the same question. And you can answer this coming from a personal perspective, career perspective, as a mom, whatever. But the question I ask every guest on my show and I'll start with you, Brooke, then I'll go you, Laura, and then I'll go you, Dalla, is what makes you necessary? I think that's, well, I mean, it's a tough question, right? Because there's, it's just so much. But if I have to kind of just like put it in like a little sweet, little wrapped up kind of bundle, right? I think it's more so for me, it's my individuality. I mean, we're all one of one, right? There's nobody else on earth like you. No one has your perspectives, your viewpoints, your intellect, your personal experiences, none of that. And that's what makes you who you are. And that's what makes you, not even makes you, but allows you to have the value that you do to express it, to put your opinions out there, to, you know, have whether it's social change, economic change, whatever it is, because you're coming from a different vantage point from other people. So I think I'm necessary because I am me, right? Because I am my own personal individual. And there's no one else out there that's like me. So that brings value within itself. Right. Laura? Well, first of all, Brooke, that's like, I full body chills. Like, that was a fantastic answer. I wish I had that. I wish I came up with that. But I I think, because it's such a hard question, right? There's so much. Like you said, it's just, it's big. Unnecessary because I believe in peace. And I believe that we're better than what we're doing right now. And I think I can help people see their own value because I've been where a lot of people are and I've been where a lot of people have been. And my experience allows me to see people and believe in people and we need we need that. Dalla? All right, so um, that is a very challenging question. Um, 
and I've been thinking about it. And I think my best answer, honestly, is I'm necessary because I'm still here. Not that when I'm gone, I'm no longer, my, my presence wasn't necessary. But the reason why I'm here is because I am necessary to my life, to my family, to myself, to mankind. You know what I mean? We're all here for a reason because our higher power, whether God or Allah, whoever wants us to be here. You know what I mean? So when our presence is no longer needed on this earth, then, you know, we move on to the next part of life or whatever. But that is why, you know, like just like, you know, um, Brooke said, Everybody brings in a different part. We, you know, we all got the same eye, eyes, we got nose, we're both the same, but we're still so different, you know? And I think my existence is why I'm necessary. And trying to make the best out of that every day, working towards a certain goal. Because if I'm here, I'm here for a reason, right? So if I'm here for a reason is whether to build whatever, whether to build something for my family, for my future, even when I'm not around. So that's why I know I'm necessary is because I'm still around. All right, well... Thank you, ladies. And again, the reason why I was sitting here thinking, I want to do a show just to let women have a platform. It was like, well, which women do I invite? And there's thousands of women that I can invite. But you guys came to me because in each of your careers, I was fortunate enough to serve as your leader. And this mm -hmm. is a compliment to you, the amount of respect that I have for each of you. And I was correct with my picker with choosing each of you to be on my team at some point in life at whatever job you work with me at. So kudos to you. And I learned, I can tell you this right now, I learned more from you than you ever could have from me. So I salute that and I salute you ladies. Okay. So thank you so much. I gotta say, you've always been a great leader though. I always say out of all my managers or leaders, and I know we become really good friends, but even to my current manager, I always tell them, well, you know, one thing I learned about Marcel, like is working for you, we didn't feel like you were like our boss, you know, even though we knew you were. We learned so much from you, like as a peer, you know what I mean? And out of all my managers or bosses or whatever, I have to say you, the way you run about handling things and taking care of things, you are probably, you are literally the best manager I've ever had. Thank I have you. to say, I don't know if I ever told you that, but. <laughs> I, I can't that. I feel like I still hear myself voice in my head when I'm mm -hmm. people, right? I'm like, well, what mm -hmm. did, you know, what did he say to me? What did he say to us that made us feel powerful and made us feel like we could do it? Mm -hmm. And that, that told us the truth, but brought us up at the same time, right? Because right, that's, right. that's the balance. You got to tell the truth, but bring people up at the same time. And that's what you know i still use that i still get that every every time i been faced with a challenge i'm like what did he say to us you know what did he say to me what did, what was that that story that experience and it really helps me and i'm thankful for the opportunity i'm honored that you chose me i really am <laughs> all right all right everybody so this has been the i am necessary podcast this is your guy marcel as always, be needed, be necessary, and if you made it wrong, make it right. And I'm out.